we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world was all you deserved. But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Paradigm with me, Paul. If you're a new listener, welcome. And I hope you'll become a regular listener. And thank you to all my regular listeners. Today, I've got a special guest with me all the way from Colorado in the United States, Dr. Douglas Hamp. Dr. Hamp graduated from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem with an MA and in the Hebrew Bible and its world where he specialized in ancient languages, including biblical Hebrew and Greek. His PhD in biblical studies is from Louisiana Baptist University. He's the author of numerous books, articles, DVDs. Dr. Hamp is a sought-after speaker at conferences, national and international TV, radio, and internet programs, both in English and in Spanish. He has his own YouTube channel with thousands of subscribers, and he's currently the senior pastor at the Way Congregation in Denver. Welcome, Doug. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, Paul. Yeah, it's great. Um, really thankful to the Lord that... Um, You've been able to share this time with me. I know you're a busy man, but thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Um, so I mentioned, obviously, you've wrote numerous books, and you've wrote a three-part um, series of books entitled Corrupting the Image. Uh, mm -hmm. I've begun uh, reading the first part myself. I think I'm about halfway through it. But just for my audience, could you give us sort of a little bit of a brief just overview, first of all, regarding these series of books corrupting the image yeah absolutely so this was uh i don't know 12 13 or 14 years ago i was just you know going through the scriptures and i got to genesis chapter 6 and i'm like wait a second something really weird is happening in the bible and it's one of those things where you know a lot of christians don't expect there to be giants and fallen angels um, you know, mingling with women and creating this hybrid race known as the giants or the Nephilim. Uh, that seems very out of place. And, and then as I was contemplating that, I went back to Genesis 3.15. This is where in the Garden of Eden, God is talking with the serpent and the woman. And then he says to the serpent, he says, uh, you know, because you've done this, uh, he says, I will cause enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And this is when I just totally put the brakes on. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. What do you mean your seed? He's talking to Satan hmm. and yet he's talking about your seed. And, uh, and so then I, you know, started comparing notes with Genesis chapter six. And then I got into where Jesus says that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the son of man. And I'm like, hmm, hmm something is going on here. And I, I started formulating this, this idea uh, and I'm probably not the first one to think about this, but, you know, it took me a while to put all the pieces of the puzzle together that the mark of the beast that is predicted and prophesied in the book of Revelation uh, is not going to be just about, you know, some barcode so you can get through the checkout faster or an RFID chip or, mm. you know, any one of these things that have kind of been the focus uh, for the past 30, 40 years in Bible prophecy, but it really started occurring to me that it would be like the Nephilim, that we would have a genetic transformation. And so that's the essence of, uh, of all of my books. And then I, I delve into a whole lot more detail on yeah. any one of those topics. But um, in book one, I really dug deep into the idea of what is a seed, because, uh, you know, we all, we know seeds, we have watermelon seeds and sunflower seeds and, yeah. you know, that's a seed, right? But what is in that thing? And uh, getting to the bottom of it just kind of shocked me. And it, it it helped me understand so many things like the need for the incarnation, why Jesus uh, was born uh, and why it was a, a virgin birth, okay, versus just an ordinary birth, you know, and mm. And so a lot of these things kind of blew my mind. They opened my mind to other possibilities. And uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, I'll have to say that. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. 
Well, the I mean, like I said, I've I've started reading the first book and it's it's excellent. And I know that just for my audience, uh, Dr. Hamp has put in a lot of time. He's a scholar, and these things that he's talking about, he has put in the hours of research. Um. So obviously, the the book's entitled "Corrupting the Image." Just so my listeners can understand what what we mean by the image. Um, obviously, I've mentioned that some of my listeners are non-Christians, but indeed for Christians also, what mm. what is the image? What does it actually mean to be created in the image of God? Because we know that the Bible says that God said, come, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Could you sort mm-hmm. of give us a description and a definition of what the actual image is? Yeah, uh, the image of God is multifaceted. I mean, it, it includes things such as creativity, love, empathy, uh, compassion, right? So a lot of those uh, more emotional qualities. Mm-hmm. But God said, you know, let us create man in our image and our likeness. So the likeness would probably be some of those uh, less tangible, emotional type things. Mm-hmm. But what's up with this word image? Uh, we find, as we look through the pages of Scripture, that God actually is described as to what he looks like. And um, this gets a little bit of a thorny issue because some people are like, oh no, God has no form whatsoever. And yet we see a form Mm. and Mm. God himself tells uh, Aaron and Miriam that he has a form and he showed it to Moses. Mm. Uh, We see that when the children of Israel are by Mount Sinai, that the uh, 70 elders and uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadav, and Abihu, they saw God's feet, you know? So we keep seeing all these different things. Then Ezekiel, when he is having this vision of God, it says that he saw a man sitting on a throne. The word for man there is Adam, Adam. Hmm. And you're like, wait, how can God look like Adam unless, oh yeah, God made man in God's image, right? So Adam looks like God. Now, let me be very clear. I'm not saying that, you know, this, this suit right here mm. is, is, is uh, equal in any way to God. Cause it's not yeah. All right. But, but it's in the same general shape. Okay. You mm. might say the same basic silhouette mm. uh, that, that God has. How do I know that? Cause it tells us, it keeps telling us in scripture, what he looks like in the book of Daniel chapter seven, it talks about the ancient of days was seated on a throne and he has fire from his waist up and from his waist down, right? That's the same thing that Ezekiel sees. And he sees electricity mingled mm-hmm. within that. But his his silhouette, his shape is that human shape because that is the shape that God made us in. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of fun, to, you know, to know that, oh, I yeah. kind of I kind of resemble a dad, you know? Um mm. But I'm, but I've obviously fallen, you know, we human and humanity, we've fallen from the glory of that image. Yeah. And, and I would argue that Satan is wanting to recreate that image in his own image. And and that's why I'm calling it corrupting the image, because uh, I believe that Satan has, um, since the very beginning, had a plot, uh, a scheme of conspiracy, if you will, to, to undo the image of God that we were made in and then reform us, reshape us into his own image. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can see that. I can totally see what you're saying. And obviously the image, we still sort of bear that image in a way, but it's like a broken image through the fall, obviously through Adam's um, sin, which is obviously passed down to us. Um, obviously you've talked about, you mentioned the seed before. And and as we know, um Jesus is indeed the seed of the woman because he has no earthly father. That's what we believe, obviously, as Christians, you and I. Um, but I've, I've, I was reading it again tonight, actually, and obviously about where it say, he says to Satan, God says to Satan about his seed, the serpent seed. How do you think that will come into existence and the, the seed of the serpent? Right. Well, that's where Genesis 6, the story of the sons of God, when they saw the daughters of man, they took mm-hmm. them as wives and they begat this race called the Nephilim or the Nephilim, the giants. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives us a baseline for of understanding that some kind of genetic 
hybridization, sexual union between fallen angels and women is possible, mm. and that you can indeed mix these two different kinds of seed. That tells us that angels do have a seed. Yeah. And and, and so here's where I kept getting stuck. I'm like, wait, mm. what do you mean that angels have seed? Like, this doesn't make yeah. any sense. How can Satan have a seed? Well, I, I found some pretty cool scriptures. First uh, John 3, 9 says that no one having been born again continues to sin for God's seed dwells in him. And I was like, oh, that's hmm. really interesting, right? And then in Isaiah 53, it says that um, that the Messiah will see his seed and prolong his day. So there's seed again. So yeah. this begs the question, what in the world is a seed? And this is where I had to go back and really drill down. So, you know, so I took that little watermelon seed and I kept thinking about it, looking at it and doing research on it. Yeah. And, you know, once we get underneath the, 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 the husk and then the kernel, we get down to the chromosomes and then to the genes. And then we get down to the double helix. Uh, what's inside the double helix? We have nucleic acids, you have um, A, G, T, and C. Yeah. Um, no, so these are nucleic acids, but I was like, but, but wait, there's still something, right? Mm. And so I read this book by oh. Werner Gitt, in the beginning was information. And he talks about how information is a non-material entity that requires a physical medium. And it was like the light bulb just went off. I was like, yeah. oh my goodness, right? this is crazy, right? So seed, when the Bible talks about seed, it's just talking about information. Yeah. And we're in the information age. We get this, right? Mm. I mean, all of us have a cell phone nowadays and that is your piece of hardware. That's your carrier but what if you're not connected to the internet? Is it really that much fun to use? Not really, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's the data that's coming in and out of your right. phone that makes it so incredible, such an amazing tool. Yeah. And that data is non-material, but it requires a physical medium for storage. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, even if we're talking about the, uh, you know, the cloud, there's still a server out there somewhere. Maybe it's in in uh, Northern California, maybe it's, you know, wherever it may be, they yeah. have these server farms and, you know, real computers storing this data. So that was a real pivotal moment because then I could finally see how the physical and the non-physical could interact. Yeah. And when we talk about the spiritual realm, we're just talking about this non-physical, non-terrestrial realm. Uh, there's right. a lot we don't understand about it, but the yeah. Bible gives us a few clues. And so understanding that the seed is information right. opened my mind. And then I could see how this could all come together. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, like you say, information, I was talking about this today to someone about like DNA is obviously information. And we know that information only comes from a mind and right. that, that, that my discussion that I was having was obviously regarding creation and trying yeah. to explain how information, you know, can only come from a mind, therefore must be a personal being. Um, yeah, like you said before about, like, I've thought about that as well, about how can angels have seed? And I think this is part of the problem for some Christians regarding the Genesis 6 story, especially in some mm -hmm. of the circles that I mix in, reform circles, you've got mm -hmm. a lot of people possibly go down the Sethite line. Um, mm. And I believe that prior to sort of Augustine of Hippo, if I'm right in thinking this, it wasn't really a prevalent belief, the Sethite view, but it was mainly what me and you were talking about now, that there was fallen angels who came down mm -hmm. and had these mm -hmm. relations with women. So... In terms of that, like we know that from the Sodom and Gomorrah incident, the angels, you know, they ate, they they physically laid hold upon Lot and everything like that. So, do you believe they can manifest in a way? Because it calls them obviously when it when when um, Abraham sees them, it said that he like sees three men. So they, so they would look like us then, wouldn't they? For, well, yeah, absolutely. In fact, yeah. one of those was was Yehovah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, two of them were angels, and they looked like humans. Mm. Um, somehow, Abraham could tell the difference, you know. So they had something different about them. Yeah, and it would have been fun if Scripture had given us the more description of them. But hey, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and 
and even when they get to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, those men there seem to know that they're otherworldly mm. and they seem to want to spend time with these guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very uh, human looking. Um, they've got all the same general traits that we have because we're following after God and not him after us. That's yeah. the big difference. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard them described uh, in other podcasts as an elder race, um, elder because they were here before us, created before us, and race because they're not human beings. Um, that's how I've heard them described. It was I'd never heard them described that way before. Um, just again in Genesis chapter three, I want to just sort of take a quick uh, look at the serpent. Um, now it talks obviously about a serpent, and I think people have in the image uh of this snake sort of slivering into the garden but as i understand it it wouldn't have been a literal serpent in that way would it as in a slivering snake would it have been more of like a a reptilian being that was sort of we know it was the devil but in terms of his form it wouldn't have been what we would consider a snake now is that correct that's probably correct yeah yeah um so I, I do some research in Corrupting the Image Volume 2 where I, um, I I wouldn't say I proved it beyond the shadow of a doubt, but I, I felt like I had a pretty good case that the word Nachash in Hebrew hmm. is probably coming or at least related to the Sumerian word uh, or the Akkadian word Mushkushu. Um and it doesn't sound like it at at, at first uh, first first blush, but the uh, the mem and the noon are interchangeable, and then you have the chet, and then you have the sheen, right? So nachash, mush, chushu. I, I think that those are probably this one and the same uh, kind of creature, and the um, the Ishtar gate actually gives us a description, uh, a very graphic description of what these things were looking like. So they were, they were dragon ish. Hmm. Um, they had wings, they had some scales, they had Eagle's talons. It was a very hybridized kind of creature yeah. uh, in different iterations of this. Uh, it is very much the creature that we find coming out of revelation chapter nine. It has a man's head and a lion's head. Hmm. Um, you know, when we think about the cherubim uh, of which Satan was one of them, he was a cherub. Yeah. It says that they have four faces, right? So mm-hmm. man, lion, eagle, and a bull. Um, on the mushkushu, or again, these variations of that theme, we find at least two of those faces, a man's and a lion's. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities between what a cherub looked like and what the mushkushu was looking like as well. And I think... You know, I mean, look, you, you've just been created. You're Adam. You just got created. And yeah. uh, a, a dragon kind of creature comes in. Are you going to be freaked out? No. I mean, everything is brand new to you. Elephants yeah. are new. You know, yeah. giraffes are new. Mm. Um, you know, walruses are brand new. That's kind of a scary looking creature. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, what is normal at this point? Nothing is normal yeah. because everything is normal. You know, everything mm. is brand new and you, you you're not surprised because everything is a surprise, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think that this, this, uh, this creature, Satan came in uh, the, you know, Adam and Eve were like, Oh, okay. This is God's uh, prime minister. This is kind of his right hand guy that goes around and does stuff. We learn in the book of Ezekiel that Satan was stationed in the garden of Eden. He Mm. was there to be a, a protective cherub he had a specific job that he was supposed to do yeah uh and it says that he uh defiled his sanctuary right so Mm. the garden of eden a garden is a kind of sanctuary yeah he was supposed to to safeguard that place Mm. and to protect the people that were in it and instead he took advantage of them Mm. and you know it was not hard for him because he he knew the full plan they were just babes in their Mm. in their understanding of a lot of things um certainly you know when it comes to the, the cosmic uh the ways of the cosmos they they didn't understand a lot of that and yeah. and satan by contrast you know he's 
perfect uh, in beauty. He's full of wisdom, right? This mm-hmm. guy has it all. Yeah. And, you know, so he goes in and he's like, oh, this is going to be so easy to trick these guys. And sure enough, he did. So, and that's a whole nother story, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, when he went in there, he was probably dragon-like. Uh, we see that the Mushushu had four limbs. Mm. And there's a very, another variation on that theme, which is called the Bashmu. And it's a, it's kind of a, a snake with two, four front legs. All right, so mm. two legs in the front and none in the back. But we're we're specifically told that the mushushu lost its or the, the nachash, the snake, yeah. lost its legs. Right. Mm. So because you've done this, you know, you and I'll slither on the ground, right? Yeah. So it lost something. Uh, and now we can see that embodied in what we know as the snake today. Yeah. But I don't think it was that type. Of, I mean, it could not have been just a average snake because no. it had legs on it. You know, yeah. and um, yeah, so something radically changed. The stories of sort of reptilian rulers almost throughout every continent on Earth. And I know one of the guys over here, uh, David Icke, who's obviously a known, well-known mm. conspiracy theorist. He was known, mm-hmm. obviously, for claiming to be Jesus and everything. But mm-hmm. he talks about reptilians and, you know, possibly the royal family and things. But And, and obviously people laugh about that. But this this talk of these reptilian beings, like it has some basis, doesn't it? Because obviously we were talking just obviously about Satan. So the, the would do you think that these, these stories are based just on that one being alone? Or do you think there was quite a number of these things? Like I've, I've heard them been called archons and obviously you've got um, the, mm-hmm. the dragons in China and there's, mm-hmm. you know, we had, um, the patron saint of England killed a dragon, or so they mm-hmm. say. So there's all these stories of dragons and reptilian beings. So do you think, like, obviously the Genesis, the pre-flood world was very, very different. Do you think these things were, like, roaming around at the time prior to the flood? That's a great question. Um, now, I, I do believe that there were actual dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think that, you know, there were probably dinosaurs on the ark, uh, quite mm. possibly. Um, so, you know, I, I want to be careful not to, uh, to suggest that every dinosaur that was around was in some way demonic. Cause I, I don't think that's the case at all, but, um, yeah, you know, well, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were to vote, they were good. And they, they came down and they created this hybrid race. So uh, probably, you know, not too much before the flood i don't know maybe 100 years or so who knows but sometime before the flood uh you know they came down they made a concerted effort to um to begin mingling themselves in with the human race we're told in the book of enoch that it was 200 that came down yeah and uh in corrupting image too i i've discovered um a steely that had been found on top of mount hermon by charles warren and I went back and I looked at the inscription again because I wanted to see it for myself. And mm. uh, I actually uncovered the secret name of Enlil, and Enlil is Satan. Yeah. So um, I'm still getting to your question though because I'm not yeah. I'm not avoiding. It. <laughs> okay. So yeah, your your question is you know were all these mushushu things or these sort of demonic snake kind of things walking around on average? Probably not in the in the way that we understand them. So we're told in Ezekiel twenty eight that uh, God says that I caused fire to come out from within you and I cast you to the ground. Mm. So, uh, and then we also know from Scripture 
that there's this thing called the veil between our domain and the heavenly domain, the spiritual domain. That veil has been characterized by uh, George Knapp, who is a UF ufologist. Yeah. Uh, and um, he calls it a thin psychical dimensional membrane. Uh, others call it a cosmic curtain. Mm. Uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, I think it's kind of a force field, something that does not allow any kind of uh, passageway between mm. our domain and the other domain. Now, right. there's a couple exceptions. <laughs> you can get there uh, taking ayahuasca, uh, potentially ma yeah. magic mushrooms, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and maybe some other occult uh, means to get there. But there's always a heavy price tag if uh, people yeah. take that, and I do not recommend it. No. All right. Um, and of course, the, the other way to get through that is, of course, death. So, you know, that's not exactly <laughs> so wonderful either. No. So, <laughs> uh, but there is a veil and we're told that this veil is going to come down. Right. Uh, the book of Revelation describes it as a, um, it says that the heavens are going to recede like a scroll. Yeah. Uh, throughout scripture, it's described. So Ezekiel is sitting by the river Chebar in Babylon, and he says, I saw the heavens opened. Yeah. At the baptism of Jesus, the heavens were opened. At the stoning of Stephen, the heavens were opened. Mm. In the book of Revelation, John says, I saw the heavens open. And that is this, this portal, this door between our domain and that domain. And so Satan and all of his uh, minions are on the other side of that veil. And then right. they can't just willy-nilly come over to this side. All right. Now okay. it seems it seems that good angels can do that. They that's one of the the perks about being a good angel. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, and and one of the negatives about being a bad angel is that they have lost that ability to just come into our domain at will. They right. can overcome that, and I think they quite often do overcome it through um through various uh types of sacrifice, blood mm. sacrifices. Uh, and when you start thinking about how much blood is actually spilled, they have lots of opportunity. You know, you start yeah. thinking about all the, the, the babies that are aborted. You think about all mm. the, uh, the murder that happens war. I mean, that's a big one, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's, there's lots and lots and lots of blood that is, uh, made available so that these types of, um, spiritual frequencies or doorways can be channeled uh, in various ways. And, um, and so I think, you know, that, that could be at least part of the um, part, part of the rationale why we have so much. I mean, you know, man's got his own problems, right. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Satan's up to no good as well. And, okay. you know, I think he's pushing some of our buttons uh, quite a bit to, uh, to get us to foment some of these really terrible situations hmm. because he needs blood. It says in, in the book of Leviticus, it says you shall not eat the blood because the life is in the yeah. blood. Hmm. There's a pour it on the ground. Hmm. Uh, God doesn't need blood of animals. He never needed the blood of animals. What's hmm. interesting about this is that the worshiper needed the blood of an animal to come near to God because yeah. Before the fall, here God in all of his glorious radiance, right? This incredible fire and electricity. Mm. Uh, Adam and Eve apparently could hang out with God without any problem. Mm. But once the fall happened, we became corrupted, degenerate, um, you know, falling apart. Yeah. And, you know, well, if someone doesn't believe me, go stand too close to a fire, see what happens. Yeah. Um, it's a rather unpleasant experience. And so we cannot be in God's presence as is because our body cannot sustain that kind of energy. Mm. So, you know, God and his mercy and his love and his desire to be with us, he established a way so that we could actually kind of hang out with him. And that was through the, the priesthood, the Levitical system through the temple system uh, so that the, the blood of a Korban, that is a sacrifice, mm. the, the word literally means to come near a Korban, right. a, a sacrifice is literally to come near and it was that instrument, that animal, that mm. allowed me, the worshiper, to come near. And what did it give me? It gave me this thing called atonement, 
Mm. Uh, the word in Hebrew is kafar or kipurim, like Yom Kippur. Mm. And, and it provides a covering. It provides a covering so that the worshiper can come near to God and has a covering so he doesn't right. get toasted. That's, yeah. that's the, the basic essence of why we have these biblical sacrifices. Now, from yeah. Satan's perspective, he's not interested in any of that stuff. I think that when Satan fell, he basically became very, very hungry. Um, right. and, and the analogy that we have is that when Adam and Eve you know, were hanging out in the garden before they fell, they could eat for pleasure. But after mm. the fall, they had to eat out of necessity. Yeah. Right. Again, don't believe me. Well, you know, try not eating for a few days and see how you feel. <laughs> you know, after all, you'll be like, watch out. I need to eat. I'm starving. Right. Hungry. And, yeah. Uh, get hungry. <laughs> you get hungry and yeah. you will die. You yeah. will die given enough time without mm. any food. Mm. And I think that's essentially what happened to uh, Satan is that he got unplugged from God, just as Adam and Eve got unplugged. And we yeah. had to eat things of a similar nature. So it says that Adam, Adam, is from the Adama. He's from the earth. Yeah. So we need things that are earth, earthly, right. you know, dirt <laughs> to keep us going. That's what we eat. You know, the, the broccoli and the lettuce, it all start, starts from dirt, you know, dirt and water. And there you go. And yeah. you get you get lettuce, right? Um, but so what is Satan going to eat? He needs something of a spiritual nature. And I mm. think his food is in the blood. Uh, that right. he wants to eat the blood. Um, so it's it's kind of dark, I I know. Yeah, yeah. But 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 that's that's where we are. We, you know, we start talking about um, you know, Satan and kind of what his uh machinations are. I think that is one of the the major driving forces uh behind what he's up to. So you met you mentioned just in there, is it the name of because obviously we Satan doesn't actually, it's not actually his name, is it? It means sort of accuser or adversary right. or whatever. And we know that uh, a lot of people think that Lucifer is his name and that's not his name either. It's sort of, is it light bearer, something along them lines? That's a loose translation. Right. Yeah. But you've actually identified him, haven't you, through your research, his actual name that you believe yeah. is the devil. Could you just sort right. of explain that, how you sort of come... To, to find his name and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So where people get the word Lucifer from is from Isaiah 14, 11, mm. And it's what we call a hapax legomenon. It's a word that appears once in scripture. It's the Hebrew word halel. Uh, it's not halel for those that maybe know some yeah. Hebrew, but it's the word halel. And it doesn't appear anywhere else in scripture. Uh, so I have a friend who did a, I just thought a, a brilliant uh, paper on this. Uh, Dr. Bill Gallagher, showing that Helel is related to the Akkadian Elil, which is from the Sumerian Enlil. Right. And, you know, once he made that connection for me, I, I just I just took it and ran because <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Yeah. So Isaiah 14, 12, you know, how you have fallen, oh, Helel or Enlil, Right. right now we find Enlil all over the ancient world, but we never find right. Lucifer. We never find Satan. No. But Enlil, oh my goodness, he's everywhere. Okay, and his name means um, Lord Wind. Right, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the same word uh, for Ililim uh, as uh, idols. Okay, so it's probably the same word for idols. Okay, you know Ilil, Ililim, it's the same thing. Yeah. Right. And and then you start discovering that Enlil was the one who separated heaven and earth. Okay, right. that's interesting. Right. He he rather audaciously usurped the authority of the Creator God, the the heavenly God Anu, and he boasted about how he slaughtered the the heavenly God, right. and that he usurped his authority. Right. Um, I'm like, wow, this is. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to sound very biblical here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and then he had a son. Enlil had a son named Ninurta. Ninurta actually is the same as Nimrod. All right, right. I won't get into all the linguistics, but they are the same. Ninurta is Lord of the Earth. He's said to be the the son of Enlil. Enlil gave him his his um the the, the tablet of destinies. Okay. In the book of Revelation, it says that the dragon is going to give the beast his power, throne, and his great authority. 
we're talking right. about one of the same thing here. Yeah, right? we, yeah. we really are. Um, you know, and, and so I just kept seeing all these parallels and just mm. blowing my mind, right? All these different things of how they all fit together. Well, like I said to the audience earlier on, Dr. Hamp has put in the time and you can see with the things he's saying now, he has really researched this. Um, so obviously your book's called Corrupting the Image. In your opinion, how's this image of God in man? We know it's already begun the corruption through the fall and everything. Sure. But how is it going to be actualized? How, like the progression of this corruption? Yeah, so I think that uh, what scripture is talking about when it talks about the beast, the antichrist, the little horn, the man of sin, the son of perdition, they're all talking about one of the same individual. This is a person who is going to become a hybrid with Satan. Uh, you know, this kind of takes us to that Enlil slash Nimrod uh, scenario where uh, this, this individual is going to go from being, being your basic human uh, and then he will be upgraded. He will find some way to cross over, to bridge the spiritual and the physical, and he is going to change from being average human, regular human, just your garden variety born human, yeah. to becoming a god. And uh, he'll take on Satan's seed, Satan's DNA, that will completely transform him. So he will no longer face death. He will have supernatural ability, supernatural strength, supernatural intelligence. And um, he'll become a god on this earth. And people will then say, who can make war with the beast? Answer, nobody. Yeah. Um, and there's another part to the story, which is uh, the Bible talks about two witnesses coming on the scene. These yeah. two witnesses God will send to basically get humanity to repent. Some will, most won't. And the only person who will be able to kill the two, the two witnesses will be the beast. And I would argue that the way he's going to do that is by going from being average human to being superhuman. And again, what's so amazing, right? You know, what has already been is what will be, you know, we see this already in Genesis chapter 10. So this is what some people know as the uh, table of nations that it talks about Nimrod. It says, Cush begot Nimrod, Nimrod, excuse me. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Hmm. So um, what we what we see there is that when he began to be a mighty one, if we look at the, the Greek translation of that, it says that he began to be a hybrid. He began to be a gigas, a, uh, well, a demigod, all right? right? So you're like, wait a second, Nimrod who also we know was Ninorta, right? Same dude, who was the son of Enlil. Right. Yeah. He went from being average human to just, you know, had a mother and father, born like everybody else. Yeah. He, he then, something changes, right? He He's, mm. he's somehow transformed. Mm. The Bible doesn't give us the clues necessarily, uh, at least not in that regard, but something changed in this individual. And I think that the same spirit of Nimrod, the, the same general... Mm, mechanism will happen again in the last days. It might be a little bit more high tech. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but, it, but it's entirely possible and, and get this. So I, I was doing some research and I came across this guy named Chris. I won't say his last name, just out of respect for him. Mm -hmm. He's out of Reno, Nevada. Uh, and he had leukemia. Mm -hmm. So he needed a bone marrow donor. Uh, some, someone out of Germany gave some bone marrow. And there was a forensics lab that was tracking his progress. So they took, you know, before and after samples of his DNA, et cetera. And, you know, about three or four months into this, they're, they're checking his DNA. The DNA in his blood has changed to that of his donor. Wow. And the DNA in his sperm has changed to that of his donor, right? Wow. This guy is being transformed from the inside out. And Chris is on record saying, I think it's kind of wild that I'm disappearing and someone else is appearing. So, oh. so I'm like, huh? Okay. So it doesn't explain everything, no. but it shows us that it is entirely possible for 
you know, this, this fundamental change to happen in somebody. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's what it's talking about when it says that no one having been born of God continues to sin for the seed of God dwells in him. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe there's really something there, hmm. um, you know, and, and it's, I tell you, every time I take the Bible a little bit more literally, I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. You know, it, yeah. it, it somehow is proven, um, you know, through science or whatever. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to draw conclusions where I shouldn't, but yeah. I'm like, but wow, that's, that one's pretty amazing. You know? Yeah. That, that, yeah, that story there is absolutely wild. Like, I'm sat here thinking to myself, so this guy's obviously his DNA is changing. Yeah. And, and the, it's like, what happened if he had children? Like they're going to. Exactly. It's... Exactly. Hey, apparently <sighs> they would not be his own kids. That, right. They I would can't... be that of the donor. <laughs> wow. You know, That's and then you have all these, yeah, you have all these stories of people that get organ transplants and they start taking on the behaviors of their donor. So wow. there was a girl who uh she was i think eight or nine and she got a heart transplant from a 10 year old girl but so after she had the transplant this is a true true story okay it's in yeah corrupting image three if you guys want to you know check out the receipts all right so i put in all the footnotes there but this girl started having these horrific nightmares of being murdered and so her mother took her to a psychologist uh, they started to uh, record and, you know, write down and sort of decode these nightmares she was having. And based on that, they took it to the police and they were able to find the murderer wow. of the little girl whose heart she received. Right. Wow. So, so there's really something there, you know? Yeah. And, and so this is kind of what I'm getting at is that I think we're going to have an individual. Let's just, we'll call him Bob, you know, and yeah. uh, he's born like everybody else. He's got a mother and father, you know, he's raised the normal way, but at some point in his life, he decided he didn't want to, uh, you know, be the average person. He wanted to become a God. And so he starts making inroads into Satanism, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he finds a way and, and Satan says, okay, you're a, you're a good candidate. I want you. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know if they have a, a deal behind the behind behind the bar or whatever. You know, like, I don't know how they they do that, but somehow yeah. they come to an agreement where um, you know Bob can become a god. Yeah. But what's in it for Satan? Well, there's a story in the book in the in the Bible in the New Testament of this guy named Judas, Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed Jesus. Yeah. And it says that Satan possessed him or entered into him mm. and he became known as the son of perdition. Yeah. That's one of the titles for the antichrist for the beast. He's called the son of perdition. Yeah. So I, I would suggest that Satan himself is going to possess this guy, but not just your average demon possession. This is a, mm. uh, this is a de- demonic possession of the highest rank. And I think it's going to be far more than just a demonic possession. I think it's going to be uh, some that, you know, there may be some high tech stuff. I I sort of speculate on that, that there, Mm. um, you know, there could be some kind of a a quantum entanglement that's going on, um, which is kind of mind blowing because quantum entanglement is where you have two particles that have been interacting with one another. And then if you separate them, no matter how far apart they are, they will, instantaneously communicate with one another if there's a change in one there will immediately be a change in the other uh this yeah. really uh this was this grinded on um on einstein because it seemed to uh to violate causality that you know you mm-hmm. can't have anything that's happening faster than the speed of light and yet mm-hmm. quantum entanglement does mm-hmm. uh so you know i, I speculate a bit but I, I suggest that there might be some kind of a a quantum entanglement that's established between these two so that they really fuse into one. Uh, you know, they, they become one what's in it for Satan. Well, Satan is somewhat disembodied. He is kind of ghostly in, Mm. in our realm, you know, and when you're ghostly, you have limited capacity. So he needs some kind of an avatar to be able to Mm. operate to his fullest, uh, in this, this dimension. And I think that's where, this man of sin, the son of perdition, antichrist, beast figure comes in. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what my three books are about. And, uh, I mean, there's so many different, uh, aspects to this. I mean, I talk about UFOs and, yeah. uh, you know, the whole alien deception thing. I talk about, um, uh, de- um, um, goodness, what's the term where, where they take people, uh, abduction, you know, yeah. alien abductions and, um, you know, so there's a lot of weird stuff that's happening. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, so, and I'm sure your, your listeners are aware of, you know, some of those really weird things. Yeah. But when yeah. you, when you start, you know, some of it's fluff, some of it's garbage, right? We have yeah. to sort through that as researchers, but when mm. you start getting into the, into the finer details, and I always try to pick my sources very carefully. So, you know, I try to, if I can, I'm going to try to, you know, get things that are on video footage or that are from official sources. Yeah. You know, not just, you know, some, some jackpot, uh, you know, living in uh, some podunk town, happened to see something one night, you know, like I <laughs> want to get something that's been recorded, that it's from a, a credible source. Yeah. Uh, because then it makes the research, you know, much more valuable. And starting around 2004, uh, well, this is only one of many episodes, but Navy fighter pilots started recording on high quality imagery uh ufos and yeah. um you know kind of a tic tac you've probably seen that whole I've thing i've seen probably, the video yeah you, yeah you've probably talked about it a bunch of times and so this was all you know released around 2017 I think there's a grand deception that's going on. Basically, Satan wants to make the ancient gods into the ancient aliens yeah. and say, hey, we've we've always been here. We're here to protect you. You know, we're here to help out in case something goes wrong. And, and that's where I think Satan is going to, uh, you know, he doesn't know when God is going to pull up the curtain, mm. but he can certainly have the stage set. And I think that's that's what he's trying to do is. He doesn't know God God's timing, but he can have the stage set. And so you want to have an alibi. You want to have some kind of a thing saying, hey, we're we're here to help you. And if there are any other bad aliens, think bad as in God's people, God's yeah, yeah. messengers yeah. that are coming. Uh, you know, good is bad and bad is good. You mm-hmm. kind of flip the script on everything. Uh, that is when Satan will say, Don't worry, guys, I've got it all worked out. We're here to help. Yeah. Right. So so I, you know, I think, you know, corrupting image one, I uh, I really focused on the nephilim. I focused on the genetic part of it, and then I um, I talked on what how I thought maybe the the antichrist might come about. Mm-hmm. Corrupting image two, I went into the ancient history, and I, I I dove deep. I dove really really deep, and I made some incredible discoveries. They were so exciting. Mm-hmm. And then in corrupting image three, I really tried to put together how is it all going to fit together. You know, like. Yeah. So I have all these different pieces, uh, you know, then you have the two witnesses, you've got the alien stuff, you know, deception, all that. And what would be Satan's motivation? Because I think he's playing to win. I don't think he's like, oh, I've got, I lost. I'm just going to try to take yeah. people down with me. I don't think, I don't believe that. I think hmm. Satan is playing to win and he thinks he's going to win. And as I analyze his strategy, I'm like, it's a pretty good strategy. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> thank, thank, thank God, literally that. You know, Jesus will intervene at yeah. the very end of all things. But, um, you know, it's a very mm. clever, clever thing. And, and part of it is I've been writing a story called Regenesis Code. I recently came yeah. out with that. And so that's where I'm taking all of this this research and I'm putting it into a, a novel. So I'm putting it into story format. And it's really been amazing how thinking along, thinking of scripture in the form of story mm. has has forced me to look at things differently instead of saying, well, you know, we know that this and that and kind of have your sort of bullet point type thing. I'm trying to fill in the gaps and think, why in the world would would this happen? Mm -hmm. You know, and really trying to put all these different pieces together 
And, and so doing it in a story format has uh, just kind of helped me think about it in a different way, mm. you know? And, uh, and so crafting the image is really the story of the bad guy. Yeah. And as we all know, uh, you know, what is Superman without supervillains? You know, I mean, it's kind of yeah. boring. There's, there's no story, you know, mm. you, you know, what, what are the Avengers without the, the super bad people, you know, that yeah. show up and do bad stuff. Right. It, it, so you have to have that. And that's what the Bible has. We have the ultimate bad guy. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been sort of made in a comical sense of this guy with a pitchfork and there's jokes about yeah. people, you know, carrying things through hell and, you know, all the stuff that you might see mm. in the far side or something like that. But, um, but it's very serious and mm. it really is for the, um, it's for the entire cosmos. I mean, Satan is playing for keeps. And God allows Satan to do things because that's what free will is, Yeah, is he allows things. But there there does come a point where God says, okay, I, I'm going to step in personally, mm. just like he did at the flood. Things had become so bad that God himself had to step in and say, no more. Yeah, And we're going to get to that stage again. Uh, mm. You know, a lot of us think that we're at the end that we're very close mm. to that. None of us knows for sure. Okay. No, None of no. us knows. So keep your job and don't sell your car and house, <laughs> get married and have kids and all that stuff, you know? Um, but, but a lot of us do think that we are getting very close mm. uh, just based on a lot of the things that I talked about today. Uh, but, yeah. You know, ultimately we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So I think, I think that's where we are. That's kind of mm. my, my big assessment of things. It, it definitely feels sort of like that. Um, with the whole, you know, you mentioned the UFO thing, and obviously you had the hearing over there, didn't you, in Congress? So now they're they're rolling out these official guys now. So it's not no longer on the fringes, but they've got these official guys saying we've got these craft and all this. Yeah. Um. Just sort of when we wrap this up, I just I've just got a couple of things really. I um I was reading, obviously I've been reading I think part one, but I've been listening to a couple of podcasts you've done as well. And one of the things I found that was interesting because I was reading regarding transhumanism and how transgenderism is like a stepping stone towards that. And you mentioned regarding Ishtar. Um, could you talk to us just briefly about Ishtar and the relationship between Ishtar and like transgenderism? Yeah. So, you know, we have to go back to Nimrod for that because Nimrod, or Ninurta is the one that established Babel. We know that Inanna, the queen of heaven, uh, made her start her debut at Babel, the gate of the gods. Uh, she later became known as Ishtar or Ashtoet, Astarte, um, many, many other names. She got exported around the world. Uh, she is this goddess uh, that never has kids. She's always available. She always looks her best, a very cosmopolitan and yeah, she was surrounded by a retinue, at least in the mythological sense, she was surrounded by a retinue of transvestites, homosexuals. She had the mythological power to change men into women and women into men, right? So she right. could assign a new gender for somebody. Mm. Um, and there are still people today that are worshiping her, not just in a casual sense, but they're actually worshiping the goddess Ishtar or yeah. Inanna. And that's a little bit, a little bit disturbing. And of course, when we, when we really see this, this uh, huge movement toward transgenderism, I mean, that's nothing but a return to the goddess Inanna mm. because, you know, she's the one that does that. And so people know uh, this is the woman that rides the beast in the book of Revelation. And here, here's what's really crazy. Uh, again, as I was doing my research, I came across uh, Ishtar, Inanna, and guess what? She was a woman riding a beast. <laughs> and I'm like, no way, right? Yeah. Like, that's just crazy. Like, she's literally riding a beast. Which beast is she riding? She's riding this, this, this creature that I already described, which was the Mushushu, or a lot of different names for this creature, sometimes called the Anzu bird, uh, sometimes called the Ushumgalu, which is the great dragon. Yeah. <laughs> great dragon. Let's see, yeah. where do we find that, right? Mm. Uh, and so it's kind of this, this lion, eagle, 
mix between the two and she's riding on the back of that. Sometimes it's thought to be Satan or Enlil. Sometimes it's thought to be Ninurta or Nimrod. Hmm. Um, why would it be not so clear? Because it's not so clear. Because we see that Satan, the dragon, is going to give the beast his power, throne, and authority. And this is where this, this hybridization thing really begins to come out in full force. So, and and what is her role? Look, she's nothing more than the worm on the hook, right? Yeah. She's the lure. She is what gets people to to give it all up because they're they're going to get you know this amazing thing, and, and and it's lust of any sort, right? It's not it's not merely sexual, but this is uh, it could be money, it could be fame, power, you name it. Uh, you know, she'll she'll get it for you. Um, but once Satan has people on the hook, then you don't need the lure anymore. Yeah. And, and so we see in scripture that she's going to be uh, destroyed ultimately by Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, it says the beast is going to hate her and burn her with fire. So mm. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> don't want to go down that path. No. So just sort of we'll wrap, wrap this up but with final thing. So I mentioned about, I've read about transgenderism being a stepping stone to transhumanism. Could you just give us sort of a, a brief definition of what transhumanism is and how that is relating to your book, Corrupting the Image? Yeah, so transhumanism, the, the very word trans, means that there's a transition happening. And no transhumanist wants to be a transhumanist. They want to be post-human. That's the yeah. goal. Uh, and so they want to elevate themselves in some way, overcome the limitations of their frail humanity, of their mortality, of their limited human powers. And so, you know, there's different different ideas as to how that might happen. Mm-hmm. But the basic goal is to become post-human uh, and to reshape yourself any way you want. Um, so for some people, you know, if you could take some animal powers, maybe eagle eye vision and the strength or the the speed of a lion or a mm. cheetah or something, and you could put those into yourself, how fun would that be? I mean, it sounds nice on the on the on the surface, mm. um, but but it comes with a, a very very heavy price tag. Mm. Um, so you know, I I do think that transgenderism, uh, I I I don't think that transgenderism is transhumanism, but I think it's a stepping stone. Yeah, toward transhumanism, which is, of course, leading us toward the mark of the beast becoming post-human. So, yeah, so that's how I see that fitting in. Okay, Doug. I mean, that that's excellent. Thank you for joining me. I think we'll wrap it up there because I know you, you've got things to do. Um, you're a busy man, so I really uh, thank you for joining me today could you just uh let my audience know where they could uh get your books and uh your, your dvds and everything yeah absolutely so you can go to douglashamp.com i have all my stuff there uh if they're looking for a, a physical book they would need to go to amazon uh and uh just type in my name douglas hamp or you can put in corrupting the image and you get those on amazon they're also available on audible and i have um Let's see, four, well, let's see, I have, yeah, four audiobooks, so you can get those on Audible, and I have the latest one, Regenesis Code, that is on YouTube, so if they want to listen to it, it's right on my YouTube channel, so just put in Regenesis Code, and they can listen to that for free. Thanks very much, Doctor. Um, That's it for today, guys. I thank you for all those that have been listening to me. I'd like to thank Doug again for coming. Like I said, he's a busy man. As you can tell, he's done a lot of research into these areas. Um, If any of you want to contact me, you can contact me at beyondtheparadigm at yahoo.com or you can follow me on Instagram at paradigm1979 or on Twitter at paradigm underscore 79. So thank you again, Dr. Hamp. I've been Paul and this is Beyond the Paradigm. We don't use that word in here.